The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Mark Giannato and Jeff Calkins. How's it going, Tiger football fans? Welcome back to a off-season edition of the Tiger Football Podcast, the first off-season edition. A lot's happened since we last came to you. National Signing Day, the 2018 football schedule has come out, and, and most importantly, here at the Commercial Appeal, we have a new football beat writer. Evan Barnes joins me today, his first appearance on the podcast. Evan, how's it been going so far? We've been here about a month and a half. You had to jump right in with recruiting and and the schedule. How how are you handling it all? It's been an adventure, that's for sure. I mean, it's like you said, I can't believe it's already been a month and a half, and I've already felt like I've jumped in, embraced Memphis a little bit. The people have embraced me, and it's been a... It's been quite a ride to start, so we'll see what happens as the months keep going. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit more about you towards the end here, but let's let's dive right in. Uh, a couple days ago, Memphis's 2018 football schedule officially came out. We knew the opponents already, but now we know the order that those opponents will come in. Evan Evan had a very uh, a good story up on uh, commercialappeal.com kind of analyzing the with the schedule, the the good, the bad, you know, how, how Memphis might fare. I'm curious, what were your initial impressions when you saw that schedule? When I saw it, honestly, I thought this works out pretty well. I mean, seven home games, it's pretty good. I mean, as much as there was excitement for the Tigers program last year, all that excitement should carry over now and there should be a lot of great home games. Um, One thing I noticed too, is the schedule opens really fairly. I mean, Mercer, Georgia State, South Alabama. I mean, Memphis has never played those schools. So it'll be a nice introduction, which I think will please Tiger fans because it should be a fun game where they shouldn't have too much trouble. But uh, that week two game against Navy is going to be a a tough test, I think. Yeah, Navy's always tough for this team. They, They beat them for the first time ever last year. I think one thing this schedule does lack is a, you know, last year you had UCLA coming in here. You had that marquee home non-conference game. Don't really have that this year, but at the same time, given the transition this program's in with a new quarterback coming in, you lose your leading receiver, one of the best receiver of all time in Anthony Miller. And and then also uh, you lose Jannard Avery on defense. It's probably not the worst thing to have, sort of a soft non-conference schedule early. Now, that being said, they have to travel to Missouri at the end of October, an odd kind of date for a non-conference game, but that will be a marquee non-conference game for this team against an SEC opponent. And it comes the week after they play UCF at home, which is probably the sort of spotlight home game at, at the Liberty Bowl. What do you think? What do you think about the rest of the schedule? I think that that to me is probably their toughest two week stretch. Yeah, I think those two games are going to be the the games where we see kind of what this team is made of. Because leading up to that game, like I said, Mercer, Navy, Georgia State, South Alabama, Tulane, UConn, they should only have at least maybe one loss at worst going into the UCF. Yeah, I think Tulane's going to be pretty good next year. They they showed improvement this year. I think that will not. That's not a gimme. That that's what I would say. And and. UConn at home, they should win, even though I think UConn will be better as well in Randy Etzel's second mm-hmm. year. So, yeah, so then with all that, going into UCF, Missouri, I think, like I said, those two games are going to be interesting to see what this team is made of. I know everyone's circling that 
October 13th date against UCF because we all remember what that double overtime game was like. You were there, obviously. And I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see just kind of how Memphis deals with that because it's back-to-back at Missouri, you know, playing an SEC team. I know everybody was kind of riled up when uh, Tennessee coach Jeremy Pruitt came and said, this is our city. And people said, hey, we want to play. You know, why why doesn't UT ever schedule us? Well, they get an SEC opponent still. So, hey, maybe not UT, but, you know, this is a game where you can kind of measure yourself a little bit against a SEC opponent. Well, you'll learn quickly if you uh, talk to the Memphis fan base. UT UT doesn't want to play Memphis because they – they're not going to beat Memphis at this point in, in this stage of their program. If you talk to Memphis fans, that's what they'll tell you. Um, I mean, certainly over the last few years, Memphis has been a better program than University of Tennessee. And it's a sore spot for Memphis fans that they will not come to Memphis to play a game. Um, and yet they want to come in here and recruit the kids, which is, which is <laughs> fine. It's expected. But yeah, no. And then I actually think sneakily, that's not a word, but um <laughs> The, the last two games of the year are going to be tricky because I think SMU is going to, even though I'm interested to see what SMU does and same with UCF with new coaches in place. SMU showed a lot of improvement under Chad Morris last year, and there were several intriguing young pieces on that team. And then Houston, same thing. And now they have a new offensive coordinator, Art Browse's son. Ken- Kendall Browse. Right? Kendall Browse, Yeah. And they obviously almost beat Memphis last year. Um, and it took a Memphis having kind of a, not miraculous, but a pretty amazing comeback to beat them. I think those two games at the end of the year will probably end up deciding the division title, you know, just because I think Houston's going to be pretty good. And I think SMU on the road, I'll, I'll be curious to see what Sonny Dykes does at SMU. I was kind of curious about that hire and they obviously didn't look good in the bowl game. And they lost some of their wide receiver weapons. But those should be games that that will be very, very interesting to me. And and hopefully they get some good weather this year. Um, Let's hope so. (laughs) Because as I've been told on Twitter, I've been reminded that uh, the weather last year was not the not the greatest, including that season opener, which was just a gnarly rainstorm. Right. Yeah, I'll never forget that season opener when I stepped out of my car at the Liberty Bowl and I walked about two steps and my umbrella flipped upside down um, (laughs) because it was so windy. Wow. Um, And then the Tulane game, or I think it was Tulane, was a pretty gnarly weather day. And it's why Memphis's attendance was down a little bit last year when compared to the year before. To be fair, two years ago, they're coming off, I guess it was 2015 Fuentes last year was a record year for attendance. So it's gone down the past two years, but you know, you're going down from a record. I'll I'll actually have a story next week on uh, Memphis's revenue, the athletic department's revenue and, uh, and expenses from Norvell's first year, because that's the only uh, info available at this point in time. Um, And it's interesting to see that, you know, coming off Fuente, they, they made so much money on football in Fuentes last year. And it was inevitable that revenue was going to go down a little bit. And it was down in Norvell's first year. And I'm willing to guess that it was probably around that same level in, even though Memphis had such a great year last season, just because that, you know, you didn't have an Ole Miss home game where you sell out the Liberty bowl. So, but at the same time, you know, this year you get the bowl revenue from UCF going to a, a New Year's Six Bowl right. and, and winning the New Year's Six Bowl. So, right. that, and that helps the whole conference. So, will be interesting. I, I'm curious. I don't know how much you know about this next year's team. I, I'd like to hear. You have a record record prediction at first glance when you look at this schedule. 
You know, I did. I, I wrote about it in my analysis story this week, but I think, you know, let's see. I said eight to nine wins. You said Tulane might be tricky, so maybe I go to eight, but I think eight to nine wins is manageable, which, again, isn't bad considering, you know, losing Riley Ferguson, losing Anthony Miller, Jannard Avery with this tough schedule. Again, I think that back-to-back with SMU Houston is going to be extremely tough. So I think eight to nine wins is definitely within reach. Yeah, I think it's also, I would guess, venture to guess, you're going to see a season similar to Norvell's first year, breaking in a new quarterback. They went eight and five that year, lost to Western Kentucky in a bowl game. That to me is kind of what you, it's, it, that's the sort of season you're going to see. Um, in my opinion. And it's because I, to, for me, it's because I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. And, and if it is this transfer they brought in, whoever it's going to be, it's going to be a first year quarterback. They're going to experience some ups and downs, but let's talk about the quarterback situation. They bring in, uh, I, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Brady White. Brady White. I should have known it. Um, the first of the Brady bunch. I guess we're going to call them that this year. The the Brady's. <laughs> well, well, you talked to Brady, and and for the record, he was brought. He's a graduate transfer from Arizona State. Mike Norvell recruited him at Arizona State. Got hurt. Hasn't played much in college, um, but he was brought in, and and I think a lot of people presume that he is the front runner to get this job because they brought him in. But Mike Norvell has said it'll be a wide open competition. Um, I'm curious, one, what your thoughts are on the quarterback competition going into spring practice. And two, you interviewed Brady. What were your impressions of him? Well, full disclosure, um, my first my first year covering high school football for the last paper I worked with was Brady White's senior year at high school. So Brady was, you know, a big name out there. He could throw the ball really well. He was a dual threat guy. But talking to him now, you know, three years later, you're four years later now. You just sense a maturity about him. He's, he's coming in here. He wants to work. He's a blue collar guy, which many people might not expect from a West Coast quarterback, but blue collar wants to work, wants to endear himself, wants to earn his spot on the team. You know, he knows he's going into a competitive room, as Mike Norvell said on signing day. And I think you're seeing a guy who is willing to work as hard as the other quarterbacks to prove what happens. So I think the spring and the fall will be key to see kind of um, who wins that battle. But I think it's like you said, it's not guaranteed Brady's going to walk into that job, nor should anyone expect that just because he's a grad transfer and he knows Norville. Um, I think we'll just kind of see how it plays out, what happens, and really how healthy Brady White is after that uh, that foot injury. I think if he's healthy, he's getting this job. I don't think he would have come here to not be the starter. And I don't, I'm not sure Norvell, if he was, and he would never say this publicly, but if he was truly confident that one of the guys on the roster was the next quarterback, I don't think he goes out and gets a grad transfer. That's just my, that's my opinion. Mike would never, like I said, Mike, you know, it's a wide open competition. That's his official stance, but I don't think he he brought Brady White here to be a backup. And I don't think Brady White came here to be a backup. To me, the only, the only question is how healthy is he? You know, has he fully recovered from this foot injury that is a lot more than a broken foot? It's a, it's a Liz Frank injury. Is that right? I believe that's what, what I heard. Yeah. And those can be career ending in football. I've seen it before when I cover Virginia tech, you know, it all depends on how you heal. And it's now been two years almost, I think since right. he heard it. So Spring practice is going to be very interesting to see how he does. And then also to me to see what happens in that quarterback room, what the dynamic is like. Um, I know David Moore has said, you know, he said in the lead up to the bowl game, you know, he, he, he wants to be the starter. Um, And then you've got Brady Davis, who 
you know, is still, he, he had his own injury concerns coming back from a knee injury last year, looked backup quarterback battle, still looked like he was recovering in the summer from that knee injury. And that was part of the reason David Moore beat him out. But now he's a full year removed, almost two years, will almost be two years removed from his knee injury. So, and then you've obviously got Connor Adair, who was the scout team player of the year. Um, and Mike Norvell talks very highly of him, talked very highly of him here on this podcast uh, back in December. And then you've got uh, the freshman uh, coming in, another Brady, right? Brady McBride. Brady McBride, who his film looks great. Probably size-wise isn't ideal, but, you know, neither was Drew Brees, neither was, you know, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, you name them. So it's going to be fascinating. Um, and, and I bring up Brady McBride. He signed early, but uh, we're, what, a little over a week, little under two weeks removed from National Signing Day where Memphis filled out its class. It wasn't nearly as big a class as Mike Norvell's first two classes uh, here at Memphis. And uh, so, therefore, it was not ranked as highly as those Seemed like he got some nice pieces, though. Uh, what did you uh, What did you think of their uh, recruiting hall in 2018? On first glance, I was kind of surprised at the number of it, just because you know you're coming off a a 10 win season. You think you can go in and say, "Hey, we can try to get some more kids," but what what Norvell said that he really wanted to make this class focused on getting guys that they wanted. So what I really liked about this class was. They got some linemen. They got some guys up front who can kind of add some depth. And Norvell even talked about that in his press conference, how uh, the first game of the year, he lost three defensive guys up front um, to injury. And so he really wanted to shore up the depth in the trenches after focusing on skill guys during the um, early signing period. So I really like that part of it. Um, I think the one guy who probably stands out the most to me is Montre Bonner. And I'm not just saying that because he played in California. I'm not biased to the West Coast. Well, We'll see in a little bit, but um, well, I think Montre Bonner is somebody who Norvell was very high on. He was very high on him being, you know, an All-American guy. He had 25 sacks in two years, 14 sacks last year. Knowing that they need somebody to replace Jannard Avery's sack production, he's somebody I think will make an immediate impact um, when he arrives because he can immediately step in. He has experience. He knows how to rush the passer. And um, I think he's somebody who you should keep an eye on definitely in in the fall. One. Well, even with Jannard Avery, the pass rush was a real flaw of this defense last year. Even though they had, ranking-wise, they weren't that great, but that was a real deficiency of this defense a year ago. They really did not, aside from Jannard Avery, put any pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So I think there could be a couple guys in this class, I think, that might be able to contribute right away in that regard. What was interesting to me, you know, one, I I think it is also notable that they were able to keep, you know, they did lose some guys who flipped, but considering the overhaul of this coaching staff, which we haven't really talked about, I mean, it's like, you know, they might have to wear name tags in the spring. There's so many new guys. Right. (laughs) Um, And so that probably factored into some of their recruiting as well, because it's interesting, the coaches noted um, Mike Norvell noted, Ryan Silverfield noted, they noted a lot that, you know, the success they had last year got them in the door with some higher profile recruits because people now know Memphis football. They know what it's about, you know, with Mike Norvell back that, that adds a layer of stability to the situation. But what I found interesting is that yes, it got them in the door with a lot of big, you know, some bigger recruits, some recruits who were considering them along with power five teams, but ultimately, 
what's always been the case is still the case. This staff is going to need to thrive on evaluating kids and getting, you know, getting not diamonds in the rough, but, you know, out evaluating teams because ultimately these people they got in the door with, they didn't get for the most part. Ultimately, they they can't, they're not going to out recruit Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Tennessee. It's just, I mean, you can't really count on that. Um, And that's always going to be the case as long as Memphis is not in a power five conference. And it's, but it's also why they've been so good over the past few years is that they've, you know, they found guys like Riley Ferguson. They found guys like Anthony Miller who, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, they've, they've been creative with their numbers in terms of recruiting with gray shirts and blue shirts. And they've, you know, gotten guys who may have got gotten discarded like, you know, Josh Perry and, and, Jonathan Cook, and they've thrived with them. And I, I think that's still the formula that they're going to have to use to be effective on the recruiting trail. And, and I think they did it with this class. You know, you notice how many, there's a lot of junior college guys, a lot of guys who maybe were under the radar. Um, and to me, given the success they've had the last couple of years, you trust their evaluations because they've done a hell of a job doing it. So in the past, the, the first two years of the Norvell era, there's a lot of, you look up and down the lineup and it's another reason why this class was so small. There's a lot of freshmen and sophomores who are contributing and will probably take on even bigger roles moving forward. Yeah. And Norvell talked about that. He spoke to this, the depth that they've done in the last two years recruiting so well. So on the one side, you could say this class is small, but like you said, I think it says that, Hey, there's a lot of guys already here who can contribute. So, you know, whether they got 20 guys or whether they got 30 guys, what does it matter when you have guys who are already you can count on and say, hey, we got these guys ready to go. And in the meantime, we got guys who can just add depth and just build to what we have. So I think that's a positive. Like you said, I mean, having too much of a good thing isn't a problem, right? Yeah, I think it's I think this this program is set up to succeed for a while. The question I have and and I, I wrote a story about this, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago. I, I got a hold of Norvell's memorandum of understanding, his new extension, that the five-year extension. And the thing that stood out in that memorandum of understanding is that the buyout did not change. He's, it's still $500,000. So if, if he, some big school, wants to swoop in after next season to hire him, it, it's only going to cost him $500,000, which for a power five school is chump change. Really it's a five-year extension, but really it's just a one-year extension <laughs> yeah. um, to be, to be perfectly honest. So that was interesting to me. I didn't expect the buyout to change. It wouldn't make any sense from Mike Norvell's standpoint to change the buyout. Cause whether, you know, it, it's just a reality that this is not his end game being the head coach at Memphis. He loves it here. He, you know, that's why he stayed and he's succeeding here and he's a good fit here. But ultimately there's probably greener pastures that he'll end up at. The bottom line is if he does end up at them, it means Memphis is doing really well. Right. Considering they had what five new assistant coaches this year, I think they had to replace. I mean, it's only a matter of time. You figure someone's going to come with Norvell and say, Hey, how did the coach here? I mean, it's, it's inevitable, but I think at the same time, it speaks to how good he's done here. And I think it's a good sign that, Hey, if people want you to come here or come be their coach, I think it's a sign of, Hey, you're, you're doing something right here. Well, and it's important to note all five of those. It's not like those five assistants were making lateral moves. They all got hired, but they all got scooped up by SEC schools um, who are seeing what Memphis is doing and trying to, 
to copy it. It, it it's been a very interesting off season, and I think it's gonna it's setting up for a very intriguing 2018 season. If only because you know we went into last year with the, so many expectations and and a lot of almost certainties. You know we knew what at that point to expect from Mike Norvell. We knew what to expect from Riley Ferguson, and now. We're predicting nine wins, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of questions to be answered and it's going to set up for a very, I think a fun preseason because there's going to be a lot of position battles. There's going to be, you know, just a lot of, like I said, intrigue surrounding this team. I imagine you're looking forward to it. Yeah. Your first year, right? I'm, I'm excited. I mean, this is, this is kind of what, what I came here for. I want to see what this program looks like. I want to see what, you know, these battles play out. I want to see how, you know, these guys who, I got to see in the Liberty Bowl game against Iowa State. I want to see how they battle and how they respond and how they use that either as momentum or motivation or whatever. So I think it's going to be a very exciting spring. And so when uh, March 17th comes, I think probably the happiest person at practice besides the football team might be me because I'm like, I'm excited. I want to see what, what these guys have, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be, it should be a fun experience for you. I mean, working with Norvell and his staff. I don't know. I don't know half the staff now, but <laughs> working with them was great last year when I was filling in for, for uh, your predecessor, Tom Shad, just for those who who haven't maybe didn't read your welcome to Memphis uh, story in the paper or don't follow you on Twitter, you should at Evan underscore B, correct? Correct. Um, you should give him a follow. Gives people a little bit about your background, where you came from, what, you know, sort of what your uh, what led you to Memphis? Sure. Well, quick story, born and raised in Los Angeles, went to college at the University of San Diego and I spent the last 11 years covering high school sports in Los Angeles, covering football, basketball, baseball, track and field, soccer. I think I maybe even did some swimming, too. I covered an, a future Olympic swimmer my first year at the Daily, LA Daily News. So I spent the last three and a half years at the Los Angeles Daily News. That's kind of how I got into it. But I always had an eye on covering college sports because from talking to kids and working with high school kids, I always had my eye like, I want to cover a college team. I want to get a sense of what it's like to cover kids who are out of high school, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. I want to get the feel of what it's like to cover a college team because UCLA and USC are incredible places to go, but I knew I wasn't going to cover them because they had some great writers covering at our paper. So I wanted the chance to just kind of see what I could learn covering college sports. And I've always been a fan of college sports, um, big college basketball fan, love college football. So I wanted the chance to do it. And then when the opportunity came to Memphis, a place I've never visited before, I have family in Atlanta, San Antonio, uh, places throughout the South, but I'd never been to Memphis. So um, I wanted a new challenge and it's been fun to start and just kind of see what it's like here. I love how people care here about basketball. It's definitely a different atmosphere, even coming from a place like UCLA, where if the team's not doing well, they still bring up John Wooden. So, but just a chance to come see an up and coming football program the same way that I feel like I'm an up and coming, you know, or even I've done this for 11 years. I still feel like I'm learning, growing and coming up together. So I want the challenge. So I'm excited to be here. Well, they'll let you know that they care a lot about football now too. Now that Memphis is playing <laughs> so well, they'll, and they'll let you know about it. Oh, and my, my Twitter has blown up from that. So I'm, I always tell people, Hey, I'm not afraid of the to talk. Come talk to me. Let me know. Um, this is the South football matters here different than LA. So I love it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on another edition of the tiger football podcast. Uh, I was Mark Giannato. I was joined by your new beat writer, Evan Barnes. Uh, we'll be back at some point over the next couple months. We, we will not be strangers. Enjoy the rest of your February, and uh, 
We're looking forward to spring practice in March.